Hi, I'm Tim. Hi, I'm Jenny. And we are The Irreverence. Back for Lent 3. Sorry about the uh, no, I mean Lent couple four. weeks off, y'all. Yeah, we <laughs> Lent 4. Lent 4. Okay, so we missed Lent 2 and Lent 3. We had um, some scheduling problems with both of us being out of town. Yes. And unable to carry our equipment with us. And we're sorry about that. It was time to here, here, here we are. Here we are. Here we are once again, ready to assault your eardrums. With brilliance. Sure. And insight. <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> All the whatnot. Um, mm. Before we start today, I want to thank one of our listeners, Carol. Carol. Hi, Carol. Hey, Carol. Carol prints off the lectionary in preparation for the podcast and reads it and keeps it in front of her and listens. Wow. And she absolutely loves it. And she says it's so nourishing and she couldn't think of her week without it. And, and I was so, like, well, then what the heck did you Sorry for the last two weeks, two weeks Carol. <laughs> She's just been in pause mode. Our bad. Sitting in her living room waiting for two yeah, solid well, Let's weeks. give her something. I know. So um, how about I read the... Hebrew Bible lesson. Well, are you sure you want to do that? I mean, it's so long. Well, hold on. No, I'll read it. Well, which... Or, yeah, because I do all the talking. Let, I'll read the short lesson. <laughs> I will feel less guilty. No. 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 Uh, uh, no. Yes. That's not have, a thing. Okay. Let's let the record reflect. Tim is completely... Has his... He's, he's lying face on. Okay. You almost said a dirty word. All right. Thank I you know, for not I did having almost, me have to edit that out. I didn't because it's yeah. the well irreverence, done. not the... Yeah. All right, this week, the Hebrew Bible lesson is from Joshua, chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. And here endeth the lesson on the 14th day of the month. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just a new reader. Just started reading this week over the last two weeks. Um, Okay, so what does Gilgal mean, Tim? There is a variety of understandings about what Gilgal actually means, but generally speaking, it's thought to actually mean a standing stone circle kind of thing. So what hap- hmm. what's happening here is the is Israel has crossed over the Jordan. They are now in the Promised Land, and at this point in time, they have stopped. Um, this is really kind of just taken out out of nowhere if you're just reading it. But what happened leading up to this is they just celebrated the Passover for the first time in the Promised Land. In the Promised Land. Well, and furthermore, they've been wandering in the desert the, for forty years. Right, and so and, and all the all the uh, men who had not been circumcised were circumcised Ouch. in the preceding chapter, so that they were all committed to the law. Now, the big thing that's happening here. Is you have to remember besides a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth, yeah, gritting mm-hmm. of teeth at a bare minimum. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so glad I don't a remember lot of, that. A lot of that. <laughs> um, walking funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they have, are basically recommitting. Did I make you lose your place? <laughs> yes, you did. You did. Okay, so not that that's yeah. a surprise. Okay, uh-huh, so uh-huh. they just celebrate the Passover. 
the uncircumcised men are now all circumcised. And essentially what this is, is you've got to remember that they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years to make sure that all the people who were grumbling about everything and did not cross over to, into the land when they had their first opportunity are dead because God would not allow any of them to see the promised land. So these are like their grandchildren, their children and their grandchildren who are crossing over. And at this point in time, by celebrating the Passover, they are celebrating the central story of Judaism, the deliverance from Egypt, the Exodus story. And that's what it all And they're recalls. actually beginning the tradition of as the it will be carried out right forever. Right. Because right. Well, now it, they, they fall down on that a few different times. So like if you read in Second Kings, they reestablish it. But it was supposed like to be. Yeah. And, and God says when the Passover was happening... Mm-hmm that he wanted them to do this and remember it. Right. And so this so time this they is, can actually do it right. the way it was intended. So this is a re-remembering of their great story, which is about their identity. So they are reestablishing their identity as children of the covenant. So why? Okay. So. And was, also Gilgal shows up at a couple of different times because that's apparently where the College of Prophets were based out of. If you'll remember mm-hmm. from your, uh, the stories of Elijah and Elisha, it talks about them going down from Gilgal. So, so I just thought... And Gilgal today, is basically near what would be modern Nablus. So today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so right. that place is called Gilgal to this day. Normally, when we have one of those name explanations it makes some sense yeah this but one's i have rolled away from random. you if it means like a circle sort of stonehenge a circle well it they, they established basically they established a circle of standing stones you know like ebenezers right which which were the things you would do for the gods as you would stand right. up um or sometimes the standing stones marked the um differentiation between one guy's land and another's yeah um so what does this have to do with us? Well, this has to do with us in terms of, I mean, what Lent is about, which is a remembering who we are, a time to remember who we are. It's not a time, as we spoke about the last time we recorded, it's not a time for like beating yourself up so much as it's a time to reestablish your covenant with God. And tell the stories that create your identity. Right. So the power of this is also... The rituals are deeply meaningful to, to humans, you know, mm-hmm. deeply meaningful to us now that they're in this place to begin this ritual that, that God intends and the people intend at this right. point, at least, to carry on forever. Yeah. That for us, thousands of years later, to tell the story, to enact our, our own um, follow-on on Passover is to connect us with those ancient people and help us remember who we are. We are the same, we are from the people who were wandering Aramaeans who ended up in Egypt and God rescued them. Mm -hmm. Um, We are grafted into that through Christ. So the manna ceased. So this also feels kind of important to me too in that... um, I think we talked about this the week where we had the story of Joseph and his brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, for as long as the people were wandering in the desert, every morning they had manna that reminded them that God was literally providing for them. Yes. And then the quails. And so mortals ate the bread of angels. Right. And, and they knew that this was not regular food. 
And from here on out, the bread of angels never falls again. And on the one hand, the good news of that was that meant they were in the land of milk and honey and they could go Mm -hmm. back to normal, which is what they said they wanted all along. Mm -hmm. The part that strikes me as relevant and interesting that haunts us is that because we don't anymore have something like manna falling, we we tend to think God isn't real or that we've made up God or... Or or that we are only receiving the work of our hands. Right. When we grow right, our because, food. Right, because God works through nature. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are other scriptures that say, you know, you plant, but while you're sleeping, God is making it all grow. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the part of what this means is that God's actions are now going to be hidden from your eyes. Yeah. And it also means a return to what God intended for us in our creation, which is the caretakers and the growers. That's right. The tilling of the soil was what mm-hmm. we were supposed to be caring for the garden. And, and, and while we were in the wilderness and we needed it, God rained food from the sky. But I think there's a, you know, there's a little something lost there. You know, that directness, that sense of... Um, mm-hmm. If you ever woke up in the morning and wondered, is this all real? Did we make this up? You go outside and there is the bread of heaven. Um, And that's why it was so important for them to know the story. Yeah. To go forward. That's right. Well, shall we read this little known story from the gospel? Yeah, nobody ever hears (laughs) hears this parable, do they? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it doesn't have a name that's misleading or anything. No. Okay. So... uh, this is from the Gospel of Luke, and it is the parable of the prodigal son. Ba, ba, ba. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property on dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. 
yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He is lost and has been found. And here endeth the lesson. Nothing really to talk about there. No. So while I was trying to be quiet, I I just had so many other answers the father could give. You know, know, like, um, let's see. Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And the father saying like, yeah, you got that right. Or or the son. Um, For all these years, I have working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. You have never even given me a young goat, and yet you killed the blah, 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 and killed the fatted calf for him. And And the father could have just said, yeah, what's it to you? You know, I just... The brother is such a whiner, mm-hmm. and and we forget it. I mean, the whole thing, people call it the prodigal son, and they forget that it begins, there was a man with two sons, and the second son is so important. So so there's two sons. There's two sons, and I always think of the first son as the one who went away, because we hear about him first. Yeah, but he's the younger son, so he's the second son. Right, yeah, but he's the one. I am the third son. And I am the third daughter, but Ooh. and and again in his in his world, birth order matters. Yeah. In this story, it matters some. But let's let's separate the sons by saying the one who went away and the one who stayed. Mm-hmm. We tend to only focus on the one who went away. Yeah. And we do that at enormous disservice to the story and ourselves. And frankly, my suspicion is. For the son who stayed, he's really the main focus of the story because no. what precedes the, it is the Pharisees and scribes grumbling, grumbling about how gracious Jesus eats is. with them. Right. Yeah. Right. And Jesus is so point, the and the right. He's basically Go talking ahead. to them when he says, "You have always been with me, and I love you." And but we had to rejoice. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Mm-hmm. It, you know. It's even when you think of him speaking directly to the tax collectors, I mean, to the um, scribes and Pharisees, it's actually much a much kinder and gentler rebuke of them than the stories about the um, wage earners, some of whom mm-hmm. only work an hour and, and some yeah. of whom work all day. Because he's saying, I've always loved you. I will always love you. Everything I have is yours. You know, that's the reassurance he's giving the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, what is it to you if I am gracious to others? Right. But it's also just so human. We've all oh, been well, that older totally. brother. I mean, it's so in, human. In, in a world where we are trained from the get-go to believe that everything is zero-sum and that there is scarcity and everything else, by bringing, by allowing this other son to come back, that automatically means that there's going to be less for me, right? That's the fear. That's driving the older brother, well, as well as just the just absolute the... anger that he has been working his tail off right. while while home skillet ran off and went and partied for a couple of years. <laughs> well, the his sense of fairness is is absolutely demolished. Yeah, and part of the point is our human sense of fairness is not the one God uses. No, God is infinitely more. 
right. gracious, forgiving, generous. This, this is the third in a series of three parables that are all about God seeking the lost. The first one is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin where the woman sweeps her house until she finds it. And then there's this one. And, and it's about God actively looking for the that which is lost. Well, and, and you'll see the old man is out staring, looking for his son to come right. back. Well, He's watching for him. And both of the other stories that precede this are ridiculous in terms of yeah. the, the amount expended in terms of the value received. So... Right. Virtually no one with a hundred sheep is going to go out searching for the one because you you're risking the ninety nine. Like yeah. nobody does that. That's a one percent loss. I'll take it. Um, the coin. When the woman finds the coin, she throws a party. She throws a party. Right. So <laughs> spends the coin that she found. She, spe- yeah. she, she spends more than the coin that she found. Yeah. And this one, the young man is cruel to his father. Oh, he, he has absolutely broken all the social mores. Everyone, because even what he does with the money and even yeah. tending the pigs is just a... Yeah. He's, he's thrown away every value that his family had. Mm-hmm. And the son, the second son, the one who stayed, and the one I call the second, the one you call the first, the son who stayed represents every single one of us who said, that crap's not fair. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks oh, so totally. bad. And but the other but the other point on that is that by not coming in when the father came to plead with him, he's disobeying his father just as the badly. same. Yeah, it's the same. It's this, it, it, the entire village is there, and you're telling your father no in front of them. Right. You are bringing the same kind of shame in that moment like, to your family, and by y- acting like a petulant jerk. Right. That your sense of righteousness, self righteousness, is is actually more important to you your sense of superiority over your brother and your sense that you you get to be self-righteous in it is yeah. actually more important to you than your father's honor right I, it's just it's just um and more important than the life of your brother it's so profoundly human mm-hmm. and and the cool part about this story is that we find ourselves in each of the roles, yeah. like each both of those roles. Like sometimes, yeah, we're the I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't feel Other myself like Other times we're the, the jerky that, older that brother. Often. We are called to be like the father. Right. We are much more often like one or the other brother. Hopefully we are not the fatted calf. <laughs> right. <laughs> or even the pigs. Um, yeah. So. Oh, the pigs are doing all right. Well, They're the hired hands. The guy wants like, to I'm eat. okay with being yeah. the hired hand. Okay, so. I read something recently that caused me to see another level of graciousness in the father's treatment of the son who went away. But it started with something that I thought was a really unfair character characterization of the son who went away. Mm-hmm. The characterization basically said that the son who went away was... Um, not just sort of a ne'er-do-well who wanted to basically said to the father, you're dead to me, because that's what, by saying, give me my inheritance now, he was breaking all the codes of how that worked and, yeah. and essentially saying to his father, you're dead to me, give me the money. Right. And he's also in a society that was land-based, land ownership-based in terms of wealth. So he would have had to have sold the land, sold the land that the that Did- was given to the family under what God did in our first reading right. when they entered the land. Right. So he's casting all that away. And then he squanders it in ways mm-hmm. that, that would dishonor his family. So yeah. the thing that I read said that the son, 
this, this author felt like it was really clear to him that the son was, was sneaky and never actually intended. He wasn't really repentant. He, he was just going to try to manipulate his way back into the family by saying, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go back there and I'll say, just treat me like one of your hired hands. And that's a way to get my foot in the door. And, you know, eventually I'll, I'll be back in the good graces. Like he's just, he's just still really dishonest about it. And he's not really repentant. And the, the author thought that was just a given for the son. And I felt like there's not really evidence for that. We can't, it could be that way, but we, you can't assume be. that. No, but it's then, not specifically written. But here's what, if it is true, if, if the son really was manipulative and not repentant, the father welcomes him anyway. Anyway. And that is also profoundly meaningful. That even making the, um, the outward steps toward repentance without having the true conversion inside mm-hmm. is still enough. It begins something. That's right. And that God welcomed him in anyway. And it, it occurred to me that if that was the son's perspective, and mm-hmm. then he sees the grandness of the gestures of the father welcoming him back and the robe and the fatted calf and the whole bit, that's got to be transformative. You know, to think you were going to try to trick your way back in and then see yourself just so warmly and lovingly entered that kind of generosity and kindness unexpected mm-hmm. can be transformative itself because i've also been reading about when people who are racist have their minds changed yeah and when it happens it happens rarely but when it does it tends to be when they're surprised by kindness mm-hmm. and i find when, that when a relationship begins yeah i find that yeah incredibly moving and you know a lot of people think of this story from the perspective of the son who runs away and what it's like to repent and be just just adored and welcomed back in. But thinking of him as if he wasn't actually repentant makes the graciousness even deeper. And mm. I had never I had never thought about that. I always assumed that the son, when he came to his mind, meant he sort of came to his right mind and realized what he had done. Um, yeah. And I think historically that's the, that's the favorite reading. And it also, if you look at the historical context of it, you know, the father, when he came back, would have had every right to kill him. Yeah, absolutely. So he was actually taking a tremendous risk in his society by doing it, well, by, by making the return. And he, so. he, the other thing that's interesting about the, the, the return home is for the father to run is another way that the father is just humbling himself beyond, beyond what you can imagine. You know, it's, it's, I don't know that we have a a similar and analogous kind of thing. It's like, um, it's not just like he's driving around all the time looking he's for the father to run is so beneath his station. It's, it's just not what you would do. You'd send a messenger to run you, a child to run you, yeah. The patriarch of a family doesn't lift up his his clothes and run. I mean, but he did he while he was did. still far off. I know it's it's that it's taking those steps toward ugh. that that and then God will run to us. And that's just something. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like when that I that embrace when I um 
was in seminary. Let me look at this psalm. What's the psalm for this week? When I was in seminary, my Hebrew professor, oh, it's Psalm 32, taught us that the words that gets translated, that get translated at the end of Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is the famous, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Yeah. The word that gets translated is follow when surely goodness and mercy. Pursue or, pursue or chase. That's right. Surely goodness and mercy yeah. shall follow me all the days of my life. The word radaf, which gets translated as follow, is only used six times in the Hebrew Bible. And mm-hmm. four of them are in the story of Pharaoh chasing the Israelites to the Red Sea. And yep. she said, what if you always knew that instead of following you, which is an English word that implies a certain polite distance. Passivity. Yeah. And lets you be ahead and God stays behind and there's a buffer. What if you always knew that God would pursue you to the ends of the earth with the equivalent of chariots and horses with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. That's this moment. Yes. That is not letting the sun set the pace. That is God pursuing, scanning the horizon, looking for his son, seeing him. And it's, Mm -hmm. that's the way God loves us. And that's really meaningful. And and that's and that's the way we're called to love. And it's I mean, true during the, Lent. The point of the parable. And it's still true yep. during Lent. It's, yeah, it's been true since the beginning of time, and it's still true. So let's do electio. I am just really stuck by this phrase. Okay. I mentioned it earlier, but I can't get my eyes off of it. When he came to himself. Hmm. When he came to himself when he came to himself. What do you think of? Well, because I'm a geek and, you know, the Greek and everything, just the, like, metanoia comes to mind. That that yeah. conversion experience, that turning point, that epiphany spot, that realization that I was born to so much more than what I've become. Mm. And he doesn't get there until he is, as our 12-step friends would say, hit bottom. All the way. Now that is not to say that God pushes us to the bottom so that we'll come to ourselves. No. But it means for some people... Our choices lead us there. And and we can't come to ourselves until we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because this gets him, he's so starving, he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. Mm-hmm. But And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, yeah. Um... So what struck me, and I couldn't get my eyes off of it, was just the phrase, he came to himself. He he didn't become someone else. And it doesn't say, and when he came to God. Mm -hmm. 
there is something captured in this phrase of he became more of his true self. He, he yeah. turned back toward what was in him. Yeah. He, he came to the, the, the truth and the wholeness that had been in him all along. Yeah. He remembered himself. Yeah. That is just so powerful. It's, it's a phrase that makes me think that there's truth in the idea that, that there is something of God actually in us. Mm-hmm. Because that was able to come out of him. And he was able to, you know, when you say metanoia, to turn, to repent... He was able to turn and look at himself and come back to himself. You know, it's, and then that metaphor also works in that he's coming back to his father and he and his father are a part of one another. You know, it's just a, it's just a profoundly meaningful phrase that's true on a bunch of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes me think it's the sort of phrase that you could you could use as a little reminder to yourself like it's a good phrase for Lent yeah come back to yourself you know be your true self come back to yourself come back to God yeah um because there is a part of God in each one of us and it doesn't go out you know even though he found himself at his absolute rock bottom starving that light of God had not gone out of him. It was still there. And that's just profoundly moving. So what's your blessing? Uh, My blessing is at this little kind of still sort of halfway point of Lent that as we are toiling wherever it is we are toiling, feeding pods to the swine if that's where we're stuck that we realize the dignity that we all have as Mm. those who bear the image of God and that we return to that dignity and that we seek to help others return to that dignity and that God will be not just waiting for you but running towards us that's right with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven what's your prayer I'm say a prayer for all of those self-righteous jerks including myself (laughs) guilty me too yeah i we all are you know those of us who sometimes think that 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 we that there are people just not deserving of god's unbelievably abundant love Mm. and grace and healing and forgiveness and wholeness and all of it. And I am right there. I am the self-righteous jerk like that son. Because there are people, I have a very hard time with the idea that they that God would be running to them. And I would have a hard time believing in their metanoia, in their repentance. And really, I'm just a petulant little jerk. <laughs> and thankfully, God runs after me too. And so the words for those of us who are petulant little jerks who would think that we should limit the people that God loves. 
you know, that God shouldn't love. Well, I don't need, even need to list We all, all know the them. categories. Um, that we would hear this. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this person was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. That we would hear, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It doesn't mean God loves us less. Amen. It's a hard lesson. So, but it's our lesson. God loves us. Mm -hmm. So, uh... We'll see you next week. Well, we'll talk to you via a recording next week. We'll see you. (laughs) But you and I will see each other. That's true. We will. So um, leave us a rating on iTunes or Google Play and uh, or give us an email or a call or whatever. And thanks, Carol, for listening. And um, we're glad you find value in it. Thank you. That's why we do it. Thank you for letting us know that this little offering means something. Yeah. All right. So um, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. So this morning at about 5.30, I went to take Hunter outside and I was wearing my robe, my pajamas. It always comes back to Hunter. And my slippers. Everything always comes back to Hunter. And he got tangled up in a bush and I was trying to pull the leash out of the bush and I somehow lost my footing and literally tumbled down our, almost our entire flight of brick stairs. And the good news is that I didn't get all the weight of my landing on my hands. I did it on my elbow and my shoulder. I like did a roll. Yeah, that's that's super good news. I know. At least it wasn't your skull. It was like I was a stunt woman, and um, ex- <laughs> except it was in like a ridiculous comedy. And at some point, I let go of the leash and hunt. And when I turned around, when I finished my roll, and I turned around, I'm at the bottom of the stairs, and I look up at him. He's just sitting on the stairs looking at me. And I swear to God, he was going like... What is her deal? Like, that was I so can't. Late. I literally can't take my human anywhere. There's nothing... Yeah, there's nothing yeah. to say. And and so I went inside and I have like leaves in my hair. And anyway, I was bleeding from like right above my eye here. Awesome. And yeah, I was a mess. So I'm not going to clap very loud. I'm really, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like a princess clap. Okay. Okay, so (laughs) like the fingers on the palm of the other hand is what I'm doing. All right. Okay, so (laughs) one, two, three.